going to begin this afternoon in John 21. John 21. It's good to see the Dixon family with us tonight. Keep an eye on them. I didn't know they snuck in here behind me. I'd have been a little afraid. One eleven. Invitation song will be hymn number one eleven. They got uh, Carl a little rattled as well. <laughs> I don't blame you. That's it. Hymn number one eleven. We're going to begin in uh, John chapter twenty one. John chapter twenty one. The last chapter of John uh, talks a little bit about uh, Jesus presenting Himself to the disciples after the resurrection. They're out fishing. They'd given up on on the hope of what the Lord had done. And uh, He appeared to them on the beach there. And uh, they brought in a big load of fish. He invited them to dine with Him. They ate a little bit. He spoke to them. He asked Peter some questions. Peter questioned him about John. He asked them that, or asked uh, Peter what that was to him. He needed to pay closer attention to uh, himself and that he needed to follow Jesus. Let John take care of John. Peter needed to take care of Peter. And uh, he talked with him about some things. And uh, we're going to uh, be talking about some things throughout that chapter this afternoon. Now, I need to warn you, this wasn't the... Uh, the sermon I had prepared, I lost that sermon. I don't know what happened to it. I was saving it, and I don't know if I deleted it or what happened. But anyway, this was the next sermon in line. I hope that uh, I don't get the two mixed up. If I do, forgive me. Uh, but we'll see if this works out. I, I hope it will. You know, there's been a lot of speculation over the years, and I've thought about it myself about the number of people who have lived from the beginning of time on earth. We have about 7 billion people uh, inhabiting the planet uh, up to the present, but there have uh, estimated anywhere from 100 billion to 150 billion people who have lived and died uh, on planet earth. Uh, Knowing that, you know, it isn't peculiar that someone would uh, be born, would live, and ultimately would die leaving behind the world in which they lived. That's something that is very common and that happens every single day. The circle of life continues. Neither is it unique, as we look through the history of humanity in the Bible, for a person to have died and then be brought back to life, to live again, right? Elisha raised the widow of Zarephath's son, 1 Kings 17. He also raised the Shunammite's woman, the Shunammite woman's son, 2 Kings chapter 4. A certain Israelite man was thrown into the tomb of Elisha, and once he touched the bones of Elisha, he was raised from the dead, 2 Kings 13. Luke chapter 7 talks about the Christ raising the widow of Nain's son. He raised Jared's daughter, or Jairus' daughter, Luke chapter 8. We get over to John chapter 11. And uh, uh, Lazarus was brought out of the tomb after having been in there for four days. The Lord Himself walked out of the tomb, didn't He? That's what the whole gospel is about. The death, the burial, the resurrection. He reigns today from the kingdom of heaven, looking down over His kingdom, which is the church on earth. Following His resurrection, uh, a great number of saints, Matthew chapter 27 
uh, came forth out of the grave and lived again. Peter told Tabitha to get up after she died, and that's exactly what she did, Acts chapter 9. Finally, Paul restored life to a young man named Eutychus who had fallen out of a window and had killed himself, Acts chapter 10, or Acts chapter 20. Now, those are 10 accounts of people who had died throughout the Bible and they were raised again. So, uh, that isn't as if it had never happened. Now, those are kind of unique things, right? I don't know how many more people had died and had been raised again. Those are the ten accounts that are recorded for us in the Bible. But within those ten accounts, there is a very unique one. A very unique account that only happened one time and that will only ever happen again in eternity. A person was raised from the dead to never die again, and that was Christ. He's the only one. He was raised, He lived, and He never died again. All those other folks, all those many who were raised from the grave, who, who, uh, who died again after the resurrection, hundreds of them, and all those others who we talked about, those nine others, uh, excluding Christ, they all had to die again. They died again. And they're in the grave now, right? But Christ is the only one who lived. He was brought back to life by the power of God and He never died again. Now following the resurrection, He appeared to a host of people. For 40 days He appeared to those folks and He ascended back to heaven. One of those appearances is recorded for us in the passage before us, John 21. And we're going to notice some things that will strengthen our faith will embolden our dedication to God and will fortify the assurance that He is alive. That's the title of the sermon this afternoon. He is alive. And we know He is alive because of the things that He has done. And we're going to read about a few of those things in our passage. And we see those examples. First of all, He is alive because He finds His sheep. That's our first point. Only Jesus is able to find wandering sheep after having life restored to his dead body. All the supposed prophets uh, throughout times past have died, but only one has lived again. Let's think about it. The The revered prophet Muhammad, he is revered by about a billion adherents alive in the world today. The second largest religious group almost equal to the amount of Catholics in the world, he died back in June 8, 632 A.D. And he's been dead since then. And here's the thing. He doesn't know a thing about what's going on in this life today. He died, he was buried, and that's it for him, right? He doesn't know anything about what has happened since that time in history. Almost 2,000 years, 1,400 years, he's been dead. And he doesn't know a thing that's been going on. Why? Why doesn't he know? Because he's dead, he remains dead, even until right now. Now notice what Solomon said. Ecclesiastes 9, beginning with verse 5. Solomon said, For the living know that they shall die. All of us who are alive know that that day is coming. Right? But the dead know not anything, neither have they any more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion 
forever in anything that is done under the sun. The dead have no knowledge or aware of anything happening under the sun. Why? What's the deal with what's happening under the sun? Because life is happening under the sun. They're not aware of what's happening under the sun. That doesn't mean they do not have a memory of what happened under the sun. The rich man remembered his five brothers, but he didn't know what was happening to them at that time, right? He wanted Lazarus to go back and save them from what he was enduring because he knew of what they had done up to that point, but he didn't know what was going on. When a person leaves this life, and they go into eternity, they know what they left behind. But they don't know what's going on from that point forward under the sun, life on earth, right? So Muhammad doesn't know what's happening, right? Our risen Savior is able to know what is happening in life because He's alive. He's ruling over the kingdom right now. He looks down upon us. He sees what's happening. He knows every single thing and he's able to find his wandering ship and that's or sheep. That's what he did that morning, wasn't it, when we look in John 21. He found his sheep who had wandered off. They thought it was over. He died, right? He was gone. Those men attempted to return to the life that they had before him. You remember what Peter said, I'm going to go back to fishing. Wasn't even point to continue on doing anything else, but Christ was not finished with them. He had really, or they had really yet to embark on the thing that that uh, uh, Jesus had chosen them to do. It really had just begun, right? He found those men, and he can find the Christian today who's wandered off the path, if we allow him. He can find the alien sinner if the if the sinner allows him to find them, right? And that's why he can find the willful. Those who aren't Christians yet. He can find them, but they have to want to be found, right? How can Jesus find the willful? Well, they first want to have to be found. They have to want to know Christ. Jesus came to earth to seek and to save that which is lost. Luke 19, verse 10. But the lost have to want to be found, right? I was watching a documentary one time. Not too awfully long ago, a woman had gone uh, hiking somewhere up in Canada and she got off the trail. And she had parked in such a place that it was overgrown and, and uh, no one was looking for it. It was on a private place and she was lost for six days without food in the Canadian wilderness. She finally happened up onto a, a, a stream of water, kind of like a, a small river, a creek-like, and she got some water. But for six days she was looking for help and she finally came across some Canadian forest workers who found her. And they got her out. But you know how, why they found her? She wanted to be found. She got a glimpse of someone. She started screaming and waving her arms. And, and uh, so the, the, the fellow across the river saw her and he walked off. And she thought at first that she was imagining this person. And there is such a thing. They were interviewing a doctor called third person syndrome. That you've gone without food for so long and, and, and you're so scared and you're afraid you're going to die. You imagine that you saw someone who's there to help you. And so she just sat down and she said, well, I'm going to try to cross this stream or this river. And it was white water. And, and she said, I'm either going to do that or I'm just going to have to uh, resolve that, that I'm not going to make it. Well, 
Just a few minutes later, some other people had come. It was a person. He had seen her because she was jumping and waving her arms, but she wanted to be found. That's why she was found. See, Jesus wants to find His wandering sheep, but they have to want to be found. He's able to do it because He is alive, right? He found those men. He can find us when we wander off. He can find the willful. Most of the lost in the world have been those who were not of Jewish descent. Now, Jesus came to the house of the lost sheep of Israel first. Right? That was His purpose and that was His plan, but His message was meant for the world. That's why the promise was given to Abraham, that through Abraham, all the families of the world would be blessed. Notice what Paul told those in Corinth after listing all those sins of, the, of this world. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. But you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Only a living Savior can call the world to repentance. And that's what He's done. Muhammad can't call the world to repentance. He's dead. He doesn't even know what's going on in the world. What's he going to do? He can't do anything. He couldn't do it when he was alive. Let alone now that he's dead, right? And Christ does that through his gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2, 14. He is alive because he calls his sheep. He is alive because he feeds his servants. We see that in our passage. Our Lord will supply the things that are necessary. He's going to give us what we need. There's no doubt about it. Peter encouraged his readers saying this, 2 Peter 1 verse 3. He said, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Only a living Savior is able to do that. He is the only one that has the, the power to continually... Watch over His people. He's the one that's able to do that, to provide for them the necessary things of His life. Notice what, happened, what uh, uh, Jesus stated over in Matthew 6. The, the whole context in the passage is uh, verses 28 through 33. We're not going to read that, but the, the idea is how He takes care of the lilies of the field, how He takes care of the birds of the air, he takes care of the lower life forms. Will He not take care of His people? Well, of course He'll take care of His people. It culminates in verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That doesn't mean bad things will not happen to good folks. That doesn't mean we're going to have everything our hearts desire, but we're going to have the necessities that we need to have. He feeds His servants. He supplies our needs. Now, maybe what we believe is necessary isn't necessary according to what God thinks, right? Maybe we need to take a trip to, to somewhere where folks have a lot less than what we have. Maybe we need to understand that, right? I've told this, I believe I've, I've told this probably before. I was in India on one occasion. And I was walking through a village and and uh, I, I greeted a, an older gentleman. Now, it's hard to tell how old these folks are. They live a pretty rough life. It's a hard labor life. 
He looked extremely aged to me. He might not have been as old as I thought he was. But he was he was squatted down. Might have been two chairs in the whole village. I guarantee you if I wanted to sit down, they, I would have had one of the chairs. I can guarantee you that. And he had a little pie pan. And he was about to eat his one meal for the day. And it was probably about to get dark. And he had a little uh, a scoop of rice with a little... Uh, uh, some kind of uh, sauce on it, and uh, I greeted him, and he handed it, reached it up to me, was going to give it to me. He wanted to thank me for being there, and that was how he could thank me, because that's all he had in the world, was his one meal for that day. Now his necessity and my necessity were two different things. Two different things. I can guarantee you that. And so maybe we ought to understand what the true necessities of life really are sometimes, right? We need to understand that. I think sometimes we don't fully understand that. And so, but God will provide for us, and He can do that. He will supply for His servants. I think that's what Matthew 6.33 is all about. But what we believe is necessary may not necessarily be necessary, right? God understands. Jesus will supply our needs and He will do it in surplus. He will do it in surplus. Notice how many fish He allowed His disciples to catch. It was an overabundance of fish, wasn't it? Do you have any meat? They've been fishing all night. They didn't have anything. Well, cast your uh, net on the other side. They cast their net on the other side. They could hardly drag it up into the boat. They could hardly drag it up into the boat, right? Right? And it was at that point that they recognized who that man was to whom they were speaking. When we look at the surplus of blessings, and I'm not talking physical. We all have a surplus of physical blessings. Let's let's set that aside for a moment. We all have a surplus of physical blessings. Let's talk about our spiritual blessings. We need to recognize the source. We need to recognize the source. We need to recognize the source of our physical blessings. But let's talk about our spiritual ones. And we need to share those with others. That's what happened on the seashore, right? He asked if they had food. They said, we don't have any. And then He blessed them with an overabundance of what they didn't have, right? They shared it with Him by the fire. That ought to be our goal. We need to be thankful for God. And when we have that on our minds, when we have on our minds our thankfulness to God, we are more apt to share those blessings with other folks. If we are continually thanking God for what we have, it is a lot easier to be reminded of what we have and easier to share that with other people. If we're not thanking God for what we have and we do not have a heart of thanksgiving, it is easier to allow that to slip from our minds and a lot easier not to share what we have whether physically or spiritually. And we need to be able to do that. If my prayer life is what it ought to be, I'm going to be a lot more thankful for what God's blessed me with. There's no doubt about that, right? And then I'll be able to share it. If it's not on my mind, maybe my prayer life's not what it ought to be. If my prayer life is what it ought to be, it'll be on my mind. Jesus has given us a commandment to fulfill. And it's our obligation as Christians to fulfill that commandment. Matthew 28, 
18 through 20. Now there's another example in our passage which tells us He is alive. Only an alive Savior can forgive sin. In our, in our text, He forgives the sin of an apostle. Jesus confronted Peter three times. And He asked him, Do you love me? Now Peter got a little frustrated. I don't know if frustrated is the correct word, but maybe it is. He said, you know I love you. I think Jesus knew He loved him. Of course He knew He loved him. Peter did love the Lord, didn't he? Those three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. I think those three times corresponded with the three times that he denied that he knew him, Matthew 26, 69 through 75. I think he was giving him an opportunity to repent of those sins so he could forgive him. Peter had to ask for that forgiveness. Of course, I think Peter was uh, demonstrating godly sorrow and repenting of that right after he did it when the cock crowed and their eyes met. And then he went away and he wept, right? But Jesus gives the world the opportunity to repent. That's what He's all about, isn't it? That's what God wants to do. But that has been His character from the very beginning of time. He wants people to repent. He wants people to be forgiven. He wants to save the world. Notice what Paul said in 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. He said God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's His goal. That's why I cannot understand the whole idea of of the Calvinistic doctrine of election. God chooses this person to be saved and then He'll choose the person sitting right next to Him to be lost. God chooses for someone to be lost. Well, then Paul told a lie. In fact, the Holy Spirit told Paul to tell a lie. Well, in fact, God lied, right? Isn't that what it boils down to? God tells a lie? But didn't Paul tell Titus in Titus 1 verse 3, God who cannot tell a lie? Now, brethren, someone's telling a lie here. Right? I don't think it's God. I think God wants all people to be saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. I'm going to trust in God. One of the wonderful things about a risen Savior is He extends His hand to all people. All people. Not just those who were His close apostles. He wants to be the advocate for all people. If anyone will obey the gospel, He will be that person's advocate. And He wants to be. And He wants to be. He has provided for us a very clear plan to get to heaven. We need to repeat that to folks. That's all part of sharing, right? That's all part of being thankful for that plan of salvation. Being thankful for the gospel that we can listen to and we can hear it and we can repeat it. You know, one of the most amazing things that ever happened to me, and I know I've told you about this, we're not going to spend time on it, but the time I had an opportunity when I was in India to preach in a Catholic temple, that's one of the most amazing things that has ever happened to me in my life. To be invited to do that, I was astounded. To be able to preach the gospel so other people can hear it in a, in a denominational building? When has that ever happened in the United States? I've never heard of it. Now, I've heard of uh, our good brethren over in uh, uh, Elizabethan converting whole churches. That's why one of the reasons why we're, we're so uh, happy to support them. Uh, but 
to be invited to, to go do that, man, that doesn't happen over in this country very much, does it? That is amazing. I was so proud to be able to be a part of that. Uh, but to be able to preach the gospel, to uh, teach those people about the power of repentance and confession and baptism, that's amazing. The power of the gospel that Paul talked about, that is wonderful. And that Jesus will be our advocate if we'll let Him, that is wonderful. When one follows those commandments, Jesus will then advocate for that person. That's why He allowed Himself to be murdered, wasn't it? And then other folks get to hear it. And they'll tell other people about it. And that's how it spreads. 1 John 2, 1-3, through 3, He'll be our propitiation for sin, but not for ours only. And that we know that we know Him if we keep, our, keep His commandments. You see, Jesus will take our part and He does that for us because we weren't able to do it. What an amazing message. He'll plead our case before the bar of judgment. There's no better news than that. There's no better news than that. Jesus will forgive sin if we're penitent. Only a risen Savior can do that because He is alive. He finds His sheep. He feeds His servants. He forgives sin. And finally, He focuses our service. He asked uh, uh, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. He gives direction in life. We need to listen, right? Jesus told him, care for his sheep. Peter probably thought his service was over, didn't he? He probably thought the Lord was finished. But there was hope. There was hope. As long as there's life, there's hope. You know, we look at some folks sometimes and we think maybe there's not, but there's hope. And maybe we ought to think of it this way. All of us have failed the Lord in some way. Maybe some of us have failed Him in a whole lot of ways. But that doesn't mean our service to Him is over. Our God is the great restorer. Maybe that's how we ought to look at Him. He is the great restorer, right? Look at the people He's restored throughout time. Let's listen to some of these great men and let's understand how He has restored them. He restored a murderer like Moses. When we think of Moses, we don't usually think of him as a murderer, do we? He murdered a man. And then he ran off to hide in the desert. God restored him. He restored an adulterer like David. He took an angry, Christ-hating Jew like Saul of Tarsus, and he used him. Turned him into one of the greatest men who ever lived. He took a loudmouth, cursing Christ denier like Peter and He restored him to greater service in the church. Can you imagine how things would have been different if Peter hadn't have been restored? If He can restore people like that, think about what He can do with folks like us. We're not murderers or adulterers. We don't deny Christ. 
But we still need to be restored at times. We still need to fight against uh, sin. We still serve a risen Savior who is alive. Isn't that amazing? If we're going to allow Jesus to focus our service, give us new direction in life, we have to desire for that to happen though, right? Peter's focus of service can be summed up in Jesus' words. Follow me. Well, what about John over there? What did that mean? Is he, He's never going to die? And, and John addressed that. John said, that's not what he said. He said, what's it to you if, if he lives until I come back? You know, whole doctrines have been based on the very myth that John debunked in that chapter. He said, that's not what he said. He said, what's it to you? Jesus was telling Peter, Peter, mind your own business. You follow me. Don't worry about your neighbor. You follow me. You be faithful. You're the one who denied me, not John. You pick up the pieces. You follow me. Only a living Savior is able to produce that kind of desire in one's life. And to be able to direct one's steps in that manner. Jeremiah warned this, Jeremiah 10.23. And we're familiar with it. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. But a living Savior can direct a life. He can send us in the right direction. If we have the desire for Him to do that. He can make all the difference, can He? He can make all the difference between a life wasted and a life that reaps eternal blessings for the glory of God. He makes all the difference in the world. Are we able to say we live our lives under the direction of a living Savior? A risen Christ? Can we honestly say Jesus is directing our paths? We need to be able to do that, right? We're exactly what God wants us to be. That we're faithfully striving to be what that is. Are the levels of our dedication what they ought to be, what they should be? Are we going to gain the rewards of heaven when He comes back? Because we need to be able to answer yes to that. That doesn't mean we do not need to correct our course from time to time, right? That needs to happen. But it can. And He can do it. We need to keep those things in mind. He is alive. And that's the main thing, right? And we can follow Him in the words of Jesus to Peter. Follow me. And that's easy. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this hour, do that as we stand and as we sing.